In these 16 names, the entire Vedic scriptures are contained. Genuine, pure devotional substance in the kirtan in order for the kirtan to actually be successful. Remember. By practical experience also, we can perceive that by chanting this Mahamantra or the great chanting for deliverance, one can at once feel transcendental ecstasy from the spiritual status. The main focus, the Mukya Dharma of every Jiva in this age of Kali, particularly, and it is also the Nitya Dharma of every Jiva, the Jaiva Dharma of every soul, is to perform Nam Sankirtan. Kirtan lovers, this is Nandi Kishore Das from New Jagannapuri Dam in Zurich, Switzerland, with our last episode of the 24-hour Kirtan podcast this year, recorded on December the 20th, 2015. I'd like to take a moment to reflect what's happened in the 24-hour Kirtan radio universe in 2015 and share some of our plans for 2016. We're also going to hear the editor of Back to Godhead magazine, Nagaraj, read a spiritual happening on the Lower East Side, an article written by Satyaraj, as well as an interview of Satyaraj 
by animal voices about feeding the spirit, vegetarianism and the Hare Krishna movement. This episode will be concluded by Kirtan with Amal Harinam, recorded by our dear friends Tulsi Toshika and Purushottam of Kanamba.net at Kirtan Mela, Germany in September 2015. Please visit their beautiful website with devotional picture galleries and videos of lectures and kirtans from around the world. So let's have a look at some of the numbers and facts for 2015. In May 2015, we have migrated our audio broadcasting infrastructure from Centovacast and Shoutcast to Liquid Soap and Icecast, which is both purely open source software now hosted in the very reliable Google Cloud. been extremely stable especially during the last two months which means that the playlist was not interrupted one single time since October 16. The playlist algorithm selects from a huge pool of 470 Aindra and 1450 other Kirtan recordings providing an extraordinary variety of traditional Gaudiya style music. As we're always adding new recordings the number of total Kirtans will grow over 2000 in 2016. Please help us to add many more great quality recordings of festival and temple kirtans from all over the world. Our live stream on 24hourkirtan.fm has between 8,000 and 9,000 unique listeners every month. This also includes listeners tuning in via iTunes, Apple TV or mobile apps like TuneIn. The top 5 listener countries are the US, the Russian Federation, India, Ukraine and Thailand. Our kirtans provided on SoundCloud have been listened to for 22,000 times during 2015, with the top five listener cities being Houston in Texas, Delhi in India, London and Birmingham in the UK, as well as Mumbai in India. As mentioned in episode 12 in May 2015, we've tested a couple of mobile app frameworks that support audio streaming in order to provide our own mobile app for Android, iOS and other operating systems, but we haven't found anything that really convinced us yet. We therefore decided to develop our own app from scratch to create something unique. Although listening to our radio stream is a great option for many listeners, we know that there are also many among you would like to customize their listening experience we're therefore making plans to create an app similar to Spotify but for Kirtan music only. This means that you will be able to select your favorite Kirtaniyas, Kirtan events or Kirtan moods and listen to those recordings anywhere you like both online and offline. In order to make this happen we're going to build a team of designers and app developers. 
If you're interested in helping us fund the development, please do not hesitate to get in touch. During this year, many of our listeners have asked us for 24-hour Kirtan Radio souvenirs or swag, but we always had to turn you down. The plan for 2016 is to finally get an official logo for 24-hour Kirtan Radio and then design all kinds of stuff like t-shirts, pens, lighters, or whatever you might dream of and offer it in our online store at 24hourkirtan.fm store. If you are a logo designer, please also get in touch. We have to make this happen. There are so many other things that can be done to make Kirtan bigger and better, but we'll leave it at that for now. I would like to inspire you to go to community.24hourkirtan.fm and have a look around at our different Kirtan-related service offerings. Spiritual happening on the Lower East Side. Nagaraj Prabhu became a Hare Krishna devotee in San Francisco in 1974. He's been on the BTG staff since 1986 and became editor in 1998, taking over from Jayadeva Swami. Nagaraj selects and edits articles, keeps things on schedule, and does just about everything that needs to be done to get the magazine out on time. He is well known as an expert singer and lecturer. Nagaraj lives in Alachua, Florida. Stephen J. Rosen, also known as Satyaraj Prabhu, 
was born in New York in 1955 and is an American author. He is the founding editor of the Journal of Vaishnava Studies and an associate editor of Back to Godhead. He authored more than 28 books on Vaishnavism and related subjects, including Vaishnavi, Women and the Worship of Krishna, 1996, Gita on the Green, The Mystical Tradition Behind Beggar of Vance, 2000, Holy War, Violence and the Bhagavad Gita, 2002, The Hidden Glory of India, 2002, From Nothingness to Personhood, a collection of essays on Buddhism from a Vaishnava perspective, 2003, and Black Lotus, The Spiritual Journey of an Urban Mystic, 2007, which is the life story of Bhakti Tirtha Swami. Satyaraj has a strong view on vegetarianism and has written Diet for Transcendence, Vegetarianism and the World Religions in 1997 and Holy Cow, the Hare Krishna contribution to vegetarianism and animal rights in 2004. In the former volume, he systematically explains the practice of vegetarianism in various religious traditions such as Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism and Judaism with special attention to the philosophical schools of India. In the latter, he looks at early Vedic tradition, animal sacrifices and the innovative contributions of the Hare Krishna movement. In his 2008 book and CD package called The Yoga of Kirtan, Conversations on the Sacred Art of Chanting, Satyaraj interviews 21 Kirtan masters from around the world and offers new essays on call and response singing as a form of yogic spirituality. We had already approached him some time ago about the original recordings of those interviews, but he wasn't willing to share them yet. We've conducted 11 interviews with Gaudiya-style Kirtaniyas ourselves in 2015 and hope that Satyaraj might change his mind and share at least some of those 21 interviews he conducted so that we can present them to you in this podcast. Satyaraj's books have appeared in several languages, including Spanish, German, Hungarian, Czech, Swedish, Chinese and Russian. So without further ado, please listen to a spiritual happening on the Lower East Side.
कृष्ण हरे कृष्ण कृष्ण हरे नाम हरे नाम नाम गोविंद A spiritual happening on the Lower East Side. Srila Prabhupada in the first Kirtan recording in the West by Satyaraj Das. The year is 1997 and Brahmananda Das, one of Srila Prabhupada's earliest disciples, is driving through a residential area in Miami Beach. He momentarily halts at a stop sign in his big van, which has a Hare Krishna sticker on its rear bumper. Conspicuously, a car follows slowly from behind. As it pulls up, the person in the passenger seat, a middle-aged woman, asks, Brahmananda? She is Carol Kalman. Driving the car is her husband, Alan. Together, they had produced Srila Prabhupada's first album, Krishna Consciousness, some 30 years earlier. Before any of Prabhupada's books were available for distribution, there was only this record album, and Brahmananda and the Kalmans were at the heart of it. Now, seemingly by happenstance, they would meet again, brought together by Krishna, as they were in the past. The Music Business Neither Srila Prabhupada nor the devotees were trying to procure a record deal. For decades, Srila Prabhupada saw printing books as the mainstay of his mission. A vision bequeathed to him by his spiritual master, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. If you get any money, print books. And further, preach in the English language. This was the mandate Prabhupada's teacher had given him as far back as 1922, upon their first meeting. But during New York's cold November of 1966, Alan Kalman, a longtime record producer, happened to read an article in the hip downtown paper, The East Village Other. He learned that the Hare Krishna movement, new to the West, was an age-old tradition in India. The article introduced the world and Alan to Srila Prabhupada and the devotees, focusing on the mystical effect of their sacred singing. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. In fact, Alan was so intrigued by the article that he and his wife went down to see the devotees in Tompkins Square Park, where they witnessed the first kirtan, call and response chanting, especially of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Hare Hare. I heard the chant and I gasped. 
describes Alan. It was vibrant from another realm. It gave me a strange feeling of something magical. This had to be my next record, I thought. Alan had owned Ribbon Records in the late 50s and early 60s, producing mainly rock and roll material, but the label didn't have any hits. By the mid-60s, the company morphed into Pixie Records, which fared only slightly better. However, he enjoyed some modicum of success with his third venture, Happening Records. He used the label to produce a few spoken word records, giving an audible form to people like Timothy Leary, Malcolm X, and Mark Lane, who at the time was quite vocal in his theories about the Kennedy assassination. Happening Records was a novel approach in the recording industry and people were quickly catching on. Alan carefully considered what he had read about the Hare Krishna devotees, especially about Prabhupada, and concluded that they would be ideal for his new strategy in recording. They would chant and then explain the philosophy behind the chant. This, he knew, would play into his spoken word technique like a charm. After a discussion with a few business partners, he decided to drop by 26th Second Avenue in New York City, the first Hare Krishna temple, to propose his idea to Prabhupada. Carol, his wife, called to make an appointment and got Brahmananda on the phone. After she briefly described their plan, Prabhupada's young disciple agreed that it was a good idea and made an appointment for them to meet with Prabhupada the next day. Meeting Srila Prabhupada. We went in to meet this guru, says Carol, and I didn't know what to expect. But Prabhupada was delightful, charming. Alan told him the plan to make a recording of the chant along with explanation to fit in with a spoken word concept, and Prabhupada loved it. He got so excited. He explained that the chanting is important, but that the philosophy behind the chanting is equally important. So he would be happy to do both on the album. I'll never forget what he said after that. The most important thing you can do for Krishna or God is to share his name with others. He told us that Krishna and his name are spiritually equal, the same, and that that's why the chanting is so effective. So he was really into making the album, which made Alan very happy, of course. Interestingly, the night before the recording selection, scheduled for two weeks after this initial meeting in December, a guest walks in to 26 Second Avenue with a wooden percussive instrument resembling a murdanga, the two-headed clay drum used in Vaishnav kirtans. Although common at Hare Krishna temples today, at the time it was unknown among Prabhupada's followers. As the kirtan is about to begin, Prabhupada notices it from his dais. His eyes are open wide, and he gestures to Brahmananda to approach the young man with the drum and bring it to him, which he does. In a few moments, immersed in the kirtan, Prabhupada is playing like a master musician, and the devotees are enthralled. This is a side of their guru they had not seen before. We must have this drum for tomorrow's recording, says Prabhupada and Brahmananda convinces the instrument's owner to leave it with them for the recording session. The next day, the devotees make their way up to Bell Tone Studios on 51st Street and Broadway, directly across from Colony Records, then a popular retail outlet for record albums. Bell Tone was a hot studio, says Alan, very much in demand at the time. Rupanuga Das remembers going with Prabhupada and the devotees to the studio. We took my old Volkswagen camper, he says, with Prabhupada and some others. There must have been another car too, or some devotees probably went up there by subway. It was a really cold day, and we couldn't go in right away. We had to wait in the lobby for a long time. 
Little Anthony and the Imperials, a major rock and roll group at the time, is recording and given precedence because of their celebrity. Since they will exceed their expected time limit by over an hour, Prabhupada decides to go for a walk with the devotees while they wait. The entire troupe journeys to nearby Times Square in the 42nd Street area. Brahmananda reminisces. Prabhupada would point to various things in the Times Square area and make philosophical comments, noting the sophistication with which technology could be used for degradation and darkness. Finally, we came upon a huge camel cigarette billboard with real smoke blowing from a man's mouth. He said that this particular area was the world's center for sense gratification. At one point, a matronly lady who seemed drunk bumped into him and she turned around and said, Who are you? He just answered, I'm a Hindu monk. He smiled at her and we walked on. She wouldn't have understood that he was a Vaishnava coming from a non-sectarian spiritual tradition so he just said something she could understand, something within her radar. Recording Spiritual Sound They return to the studio to record. Prabhupada sits on a mat in the center, accommodating the engineers who arrange the microphones and assign each devotee a place to set up according to his or her particular instrument. They want only two pairs of kartals, but approve the pair of rhythm sticks and several other instruments the devotees have brought. They also want some devotees to clap to give the recording a live sound. We started recording immediately, says Alan, and Prabhupada burst into the Hare Krishna chant. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. His tone was exotic, deep, and mesmerizing. I had recorded a lot of people in my time, professional singers and so on, but Prabhupada was especially captivating, infectious. He was born to do this. Prabhupada did about six different songs, traditional stuff from his lineage, but most of it didn't make it on the album. The tapes are lying around in a studio archive somewhere. Great stuff. We were mainly interested in the Hare Krishna chant, though, which was becoming popular at the time. Rupanuga Das shares some further details of the recording session. A man came around to check the instruments to see how the microphones would pick them up and what the sound quality was like. I played two bells that sounded sort of like kartals. Hayagriva was playing tambura. Rama played those South American wooden sticks. Kirtanananda played the harmonium, loaned to us by Allen Ginsberg, but he just pumped the bellows. He really didn't know how to play. And Prabhupada played that two-headed Indian drum so incredibly. There were some others too. I remember Brahmananda was clapping too loud, so an engineer came in to adjust the volume. We just kept playing, following Prabhupada's lead. When we went overtime, Kalman from the engineer booth waved his hand to indicate that we should start wrapping it up. So Prabhupada saw that and started going faster. Satsarupa Das Goswami gives further details in his Srila Prabhupada Dilamrita. Alan came out of the studio. It was great, Swami, great. Would you like to just go right ahead and read the address now? Or are you too tired? With polite concern, pale, befreckled Alan Kalman peered through his thick glasses at Prabhupada, who appeared tired, but he replied, No, I am not tired. Then the devotees sat back in the studio to watch and listen as Prabhupada read his prepared statement. After reading it, the producer tells Srila Prabhupada that they have about ten minutes 
on side two to Phil. He again asks Srila Prabhupada if he is tired. Prabhupada says that he isn't, and they start to chant again. This time he sang what was titled on the album as Chant to the Mercy of the Spiritual Master. We know it as the Samsara Prayers. After the song, which was done in one take, Srila Prabhupada said, Now we are tired. The night was over. However, as the studio engineer replayed the take, Srila Prabhupada stood up and started to dance to the song the devotees and he had just recorded. Now you have made your best record, Prabhupada told Mr. Kalman as he left the studio for the freezing Manhattan evening. Prabhupada got into the front seat of the Volkswagen bus while the Hare Krishna chanters climbed into the back with their instruments and Rupanuga drove them back home, back to the Lower East Side, launching book distribution. This record was in fact the beginning of widespread book distribution in the West. Although Prabhupada had brought a trunk load of his initial copies of the Srimad Bhagavatam from India, he sold them early on when the movement was just starting out. He had also brought copies of a small book, Easy Journey to Other Planets, and several pamphlets, but not enough for wide-scale distribution, which is what he wanted. It was this album that was sent to Macmillan Publishing Company leading to a publishing deal that resulted in Bhagavad Gita as it is. Further, George Harrison procured a copy early on and contacted Allen to find out about the copyright so he could use the Maha Mantra on Apple's Radha Krishna Temple album and eventually in his own song, My Sweet Lord. George later met the devotees and Prabhupada in London and he wrote the preface to Prabhupada's book, Krishna the Supreme Personality of Godhead one of Prabhupada's first four books, all released after the happening album. The other three, Ishopanishad, The Nectar of Devotion, and Teachings of Lord Chaitanya. Indeed, because of the work of Alan and Carol Kalman, spurred on by the grace of Srila Prabhupada, the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra was heard on radio stations and TV shows and read in popular media around the world before massive book distribution engulfed ISKCON and everyone else. This article contains a sidebar entitled, George Harrison Remembers. I bought the Hare Krishna record in 1968, and John Lennon and I listened to it. I remember we sang the Hare Krishna mantra for days, John and I, with ukulele banjos sailing through the Greek islands chanting. Like six hours we sang, because we couldn't stop chanting once we got going. 
As soon as we stopped chanting, it was like the lights went out. It went on to the point where our jaws were aching, singing the Hare Krishna mantra over and over and over and over and over. We felt exalted. It was a very happy time for us. I used to sing the Hare Krishna mantra long before I met any of the devotees or long before I met Prabhupada, because I had his first record then for at least two years. When you're open to something, it's like a beacon and you attract it. From the first time I heard the Hare Krishna chanting, it was like a door opened somewhere in my subconscious, maybe from some previous life. That's an excerpt from a 1982 interview by Mukunda Swami, which appears in the book Chant and Be Happy. For this article, the author is indebted to Satsrup Das Goswami's Srila Prabhupada Lilamrita, Hayagriva Das's Hare Krishna Explosion, and personal interviews with Brahmananda Das, Rupanuga Das, and Alan and Carol Collins. <laughs> Animal Voices is your animal liberation radio show broadcasting in Toronto on CIUT 89.5 FM and worldwide at www.ciut.fm every Tuesday on 11 a.m. till noon in St. Catharines on CFBU 103.7 FM every Tuesday at 3 to 4 p.m. and Hamilton on CFMU 93.3 FM. broadcasting for over 18 years, bringing you stories from marginalized voices. They cover local, national and international struggles and victories within animal and human liberation movements. Tune in for interviews with a broad spectrum of artists, musicians, activists and academics working toward the liberation of animals, social justice and environmental health. 
Animal Voices strives to map out the animal advocacy scene around the globe and provide a platform to showcase the work of folks resisting patriarchal capitalist domination. Animal Voices engages with the ways the various human social dynamics like race, gender and class intersect with animal issues, asks questions about other animals' experiences and considers other animals' interests. In the words of animal rights activist Steve Simmons, it's time for us to end this hierarchy of who has the right to live, who deserves not to suffer, who should be respected. That there is a limit to the amount of compassion that we can have for our fellow creatures. Here's an interview of Satyaraj by Animal Voices about feeding the spirit, vegetarianism and the Hare Krishna movement. make a fool of myself, I'm sure, in the next interview. I talked with uh, Stephen Rosen yesterday, and I said, wow, you know, I really don't know how to say most of the words in this book. Um, we're talking about holy cow, the Hare Krishna contribution to vegetarianism and animal rights, so I will be humbled momentarily. We're going to take a short break, come back with Stephen J. Rosen, talk about Hare Krishna's contribution to animal rights and uh, to the history of vegetarianism. It's very fascinating. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to Animal Voices. You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM, www.ciut.fm over the internet. I'm your host, Lauren Corman. And uh, I just wanted to let people know that if you're interested in hearing this program again or uh, suggesting it to a friend, uh, the program will be archived on the Animal Voices website, which is animalvoices.ca. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for upcoming programs, uh, we would love to hear from you. If you also have opinions, about uh, the programs agreeing or disagreeing, you can write us at animalvoices at ciut.fm. We love to hear from listeners. Uh, today's interview is with Stephen J. Rosen. We're talking with him specifically about his book, Holy Cow, the Hare Krishna Contribution to Vegetarianism and Animal Rights. He is also the, uh, the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Vaishnava Studies, and uh, we're very pleased to have him on the program today. Hi, Stephen. Hi, happy to be here, especially since here is my very own living room. Oh, great. <laughs> so um, I'm going to, uh, I, yeah, I'm going to ask you a bunch of uh, sort of really, really introductory questions about the Hare Krishna movement and find out about why it has been so influential in terms of developing uh, a consciousness around vegetarianism and animal issues. But before we jump into that, I was hoping to get more of an introduction to you about your background and also what brought you to the Hare Krishna movement. Well, um, like many children of the 60s, I was searching for the truth, the quote-unquote truth, you know. And I experimented with drugs and the usual stuff that kids in the 60s did. But um, I took the search a little further, and I started studying Sanskrit, and I wanted to get to the origin of religious truth. And I found that Islam is 1,300 years old, Christianity 2,000 years old, Buddhism 2,500 years old, and Judaism was 
4,500 years old, but I wanted to get back to the source, the origin of religious truth. And so then I found that Hinduism didn't have a founder like other major world religions, and it couldn't be traced back to a particular point in time. But rather, it was traced back to an earlier tradition known as Sanatana Dharma, which means the eternal function of the soul. And that's kind of what I was interested in. I wanted to know the essence of religious mysticism rather than, than any one sectarian religion. That, that's what I was looking for. And so um, that was my search, and I was reading mainly Eastern texts such as the Bhagavad Gita. And one day I was on my way to school, high school. I was reading a particular commentary on the Bhagavad Gita on the train going to school in Manhattan. And a Hare Krishna devotee happened to be walking up, doing his thing, you know, selling books on the train. And uh, he saw me sitting there reading a copy of the Bhagavad Gita. And he, he walks up to me and he says, you're reading poison. Hmm. And I looked at him like he was crazy. I thought, well, you guys are into Eastern stuff. And this is the Bhagavad Gita, one of the most popular Hindu books in the world. Why is this poison? And what he said to me after that was interesting. He said, Bhagavad Gita is as pure as milk. Of course, a vegan wouldn't want to hear that. But anyway, just to get the analogy, Bhagavad Gita is as pure as milk, but even milk, when touched by the lips of a serpent, becomes poisonous. Mm. So I could understand what he was trying to say was that the particular commentary I was reading was not conveying the Bhagavad Gita properly. So he said to me, just look at our Bhagavad Gita, translated by the founder of the Krishna movement, uh, His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. So I said, well, I'm a student. I can't afford to buy your Gita. It's a big book. I, I don't think I really want it. And then he said, no, I'll give it to you for free. I just want you to compare it to the Gita you're reading now. And all I ask in payment is that Sunday you come to our temple and you let me know what you think about our Gita. So I said, sure, sure, I'll do that because I, I love reading Bhagavad Gita. And I found in the introduction to their Bhagavad Gita, I understood more about the Bhagavad Gita than all the many commentaries I had read and all the various translations I had read. Just in the introduction, I got a clear idea of what the Bhagavad Gita was all about. So I was impressed. I, I went to the, the, the Hare Krishna temple uh, that following week. And I wasn't impressed with the temple. I was, pro I was going to leave and probably never come back. But the fellow who gave me the book said to me, I can see you're not impressed with the temple, but come back one more time because our founder, uh, Swami Prabhupada, who translated the Gita that you read, will be here next week. Hmm. This was in 1972. And so um, I went to the temple again one last time, and when I saw Prabhupada, I could understand here was a genuine saint. This, this is what I had been looking for, someone who was act, actually practicing religious mysticism. Then, so I wanted some of that, you know. I said, wow, uh, Prabhupada is everything I had been looking for, so let me accept him as my teacher and learn from him. And that's how I kind of got involved with the, the Hare Krishna religion. Hmm. And so you knew that you were in the presence of a saint? Yes. Can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, well, uh, when I saw him... He was lecturing when I got there to the, the temple, and his lecture was very basic, but it was fundamental, but fundamentally true. I mean, I could understand everything he was saying was reflecting all truths that I had come to realize from reading many, many books on religion. And then, after the lecture, he walked up, he walked out of the room, and he walked right up to me where I was standing in the hallway. He turned to me, and he just said, Hare Krishna. 
And in those two words, I just, I felt spiritual upliftment. It's something you have to experience, really. It's not something that can be expressed. Mm -hmm. But it's, um, it, it gave me enough of a feeling that I thought, oh yeah, this is something I want to practice. This is, it's very deep. It's something I feel in my heart of hearts that I needed to practice. So I started chanting Hare Krishna and following the principles, one of which is vegetarianism. I was a vegetarian when I joined the Hare Krishna movement. Um, but that, it, the Hare Krishna movement sort of gave a theological backing to my practice of vegetarianism. Hmm. And I mean, this is, it must have been, you know, in some ways it, it sounds like it was a good fit, but, you know, in, the, in this uh, the interview conducted by Ryan Berry, it said that you were also something of a religious skeptic. I was, yeah. I didn't want to commit to any one particular religious path, but I was looking, as I said, for the source of religious truth. I wanted mysticism, but I didn't want to align myself with any one sectarian religion. But Prabhupada's teaching was just that. He, he often taught, uh, you know, I'm not preaching Hinduism, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. I'm teaching the science of God consciousness. And by applying this science, you could become a better Christian, Jew, Muslim, Hindu, or whatever. Hmm. It's simply how to get close to God. That's what he was teaching. And I was gratified by the fact that one of his teachings included vegetarianism, because it, in my search of religious truth, I found it a little contradictory that uh, some religious teachers would say, no, God is the all-compassionate one, the all-merciful one, and at the same time they would promote meat-eating. How could they worship a God who's all-compassionate and all-merciful, but not extend that mercy to creatures, you know, animals and fish and so on. So uh, I was so happy when I found in the Hare Krishna religion, which, by the way, the modern manifestation is called Hare Krishna religion. It's traditionally known in India as Vaishnavism. Mm. And I was happy to find that Vaishnavism didn't have those contradictions. I mean, vegetarianism is deeply embedded in Vaishnavism. One of the basic principles is ahimsa, which means nonviolence. And they extend that to the whole created world. And one of the main teachings in the scriptures of Vaishnavism is ahimsa paro dharmo. That's found in the Mahabharata and in the Padma Purana, both uh, ancient texts. And ahimsa paro dharmo means that nonviolence is the highest duty. The highest duty is to just be kind to other creatures. It's definitely a good path to follow. And... Tell us about, because, um, you know, your experience was often, you know, or sounds like it was clearly quite profound, and other people have been uh, drawn to this as well. Tell us about uh, the influence of uh, Hare Krishna on the West and uh, the rise of it here. Well, um, let's see. Prabhupada came West in 1965, Prior to his arrival in the West, other Vaishnavas had come uh, to Western shores, but they were largely unsuccessful. He came at the right time, for one. He came the height of the, the 60s counterculture, so people were kind of looking for, you know, the exotic East and then mysticism and things like that. And so one was that he came at the right time. Another thing was that he was actually representative of an ancient tradition, the uh, Brahma, Madhva, Gaudiya, Sampradaya. There are various esoteric lineages in India. And he was a proper representative of one of those. There are four of them in India. And uh, many of the people who came west were not proper representatives of these 
uh, lineages. So they didn't have the same. It's in Indian, in, in Sanskrit, it's called shakti or potency. Some of them did, but Prabhupada was uniquely qualified. Um, he was um, a student in school in, in college of uh, economics, philosophy, and English. So, you know, a lot of uh, Indians who came west didn't have the language skills, but Prabhupada majored in English. Mm. Um, the economics thing helped him form his society, ISKCON, you know, uh, legally. He knew all about uh, forming an institution and all of that. And, um, and that's and the philosophy. International Society for Krishna Consciousness? Exactly, yeah, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, which he founded in 1966. And then his study of philosophy enabled him to convey the ancient Vaishnava scriptures to a Western audience. He was able to do it in our language, you know, by comparing Vaishnava teachings to Christianity and various Western philosophers like Socrates and Plato. So um, he was equipped, and he came at the right time, and uh, he had a large following. And uh, when he came to New York, uh, Allen Ginsberg and some of the beat poets assisted him in his work, and then... He went to England, and he immediately, by maybe you could say good fortune or Krishna's grace, you know, created an alliance with the Beatles mm-hmm. of all people. And you know, uh, working with his disciples, working with the Beatles, managed to put the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. You know that it's a famous mantra: Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. They made it a number one hit on the charts. Uh, throughout much of the world. So that's no small thing, you know, an ancient tradition coming from India and its main mantra becoming a number one hit on the pop charts. So uh, that was basically the coming of Krishna consciousness to the West. It had long been predicted. Um, 500 years ago, Lord Chaitanya, who was an avatar, an incarnation of Krishna, said, my name will be sung in every town and village of the world. And then only... um, a hundred years or so before Prabhupada came, one of the great teachers in that lineage said, soon a person is coming who will bring the holy name all over the world, and Russians and Europeans and Americans will raise up banners and chant the holy names of God together. So, I mean, it was, it was long predicted, and then Prabhupada finally came and fulfilled the prediction. Stephen, we're going to take a short break just to do some station identification, and I think maybe we have a couple of ads for the station and we'll come back and uh, continue learning about the Hare Krishna movement. Great. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to Animal Voices on CIUT. just want to let people know that uh, this program will be archived on our website, animalvoices.ca. And there's also a nifty uh, feature for the website that if you have any uh, comments about the program, you can post your comments underneath uh, each show as well. We're speaking with Stephen J. Rosen today. Thank you for uh, being with us. Thank you. I wanted to have a, uh, ask you a follow-up question about the chanting, because um, you provided that uh, that quote about it being, you know, sung sung all over the world. And yeah. I think that the chanting is something that intrigues a lot of people, but they're not quite sure what it's about and why that's important. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, mantras, mantra meditation goes back for thousands of years in India, and it actually can be found in most of the religions of the world, the importance of chanting. Because the idea is is that spiritual sound vibration is absolute. It's non-different than God. Uh, it's like it's the opposite of the material world, where a sound and the thing that the sound represents are necessarily different, like water, the word water, and the substance water are necessarily different. 
So spirit is just the opposite of matter. So in the spiritual realm, a sound and the thing it represents are one and the same. Mm. And so God and his names, according to most religious traditions, are one and the same. That's why in the Bible, for instance, it'll say, from the rising of the sun until the setting, the Lord's name is to be praised. And there are many quotes like that. And so in the Eastern scriptures, in the Vedic scriptures, the same principle is there. And so it's considered that all of God's potencies are there in God's name. And there are certain mantras that are considered particularly efficacious. And the Maha Mantra, the one I just quoted, the Hare Krishna Mantra, is one. It's called Maha Mantra, which means Great Mantra. And that means that the potency of all of the mantras are included in this one mantra. That's it for this episode and also most of 2015, I guess. I wish you all a Merry Hare Christmas and a very happy new Kirtan year. Happy Holidays and stay tuned on 24hourkirtan.fm. Jai Radhe.
Thank mm-hmm. you.